Today we are doing an interview with Gautam Ji, who is uh, very kindly, he's come all the way from Bombay and uh, Gautam has been my spiritual teacher and guide since more than about eight years now and uh, Gautam comes from the Advaitic tradition and the lineage of Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj and Gautam's teacher was Ramesh Palsekarji and Gautam's essential teaching is how to get peace of mind in daily living. So it's very centric to everyday life. It is the whole focus is where you live the teaching. I have benefited greatly by you know association with Gautam and I'm very grateful. And over the years, uh, as Gautam says in most of his talks, when you look back is when you really see you know the changes that happen. So I had requested Gautam to speak uh, on the higher teachings of Sai Baba to give devotees a deeper understanding of what Baba meant because Baba's essential teaching also is in, so that it translates to day-to-day -day life. So in this interview, I'll ask Gautam a few questions around uh, the aspects of the daily living where Sai Baba's devotees can imbibe the teachings and live that and attain peace and move towards uh, what Baba would say that I will give devotees what they want in the hope that they will want what I want to give them which is self-realization and peace of mind and equanimity in day-to-day -day living. So Gautam, essentially the journey for most devotees, especially with Sai Baba and this path, typically begins with people getting drawn to Baba because of a miracle or dream or vision and he pulls them to, towards him. And uh, that's essentially the common thread with most devotees. And then it is followed up by, you know, a series of more miracles and they are drawn to Shirdi, his life teachings. But uh, somewhere down the line, I've noticed and many people even write to me through the channel that their faith and their surrender is very dependent on circumstances which are either favorable or when Baba does things in accordance to their will. And in one of your talks, you had mentioned about true faith. Could we begin by you shedding some light on that? Sure. Uh, Nick, first of all, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk on Shirdi Sai Baba's teachings. As you rightly said, there is so much material out there simply because of the miracles which Baba performed in his lifetime. As a ray of the absolute, Anything was possible in his sphere, in his domain. However, when I read the Sai Satcharita, for me, it was the message behind the miracles, which would impact one's daily living. I started reading it through that prism. So one level was the actual event of the miracle taking place. And the other was what is being conveyed through that story, which I found to directly impact daily living. So, because I was with a teacher for almost 10 years, I started viewing Sai Baba's Sat Charita through this prism of what you could call as Advaita or non-duality as it is called in the Western world. And I found that it was so practical, so pragmatic, but it was hidden, so to speak, because of the overwhelming evidence of miracles. So when I read the Satcharita, I started underlining these expressions of Advaita, of what Baba has said, which really appealed to me because I feel that it is everybody's life experience. And it is just a matter of focus and tapping into that. And he does deliver the greatest miracle of all, which I feel is peace of mind. You know, people ask me about masters performing Siddhis. And there's this whole another layer of thought which says that don't get stuck on the level of Siddhis because they are mere experiences. 
even Nisargdatta Maharaj in his younger days used to perform certain siddhis for his devotees. But his guru, Siddharameshwar Maharaj said, look, don't get stuck at that level. You have to give them the message of Advaita. And truly, peace of mind is the biggest miracle, which is what Sai Baba gives through his teaching. Because that becomes a way of living, a way of being, and a way of looking at the world around you and yourself. So it is seeing that through the stories and understanding the core message of such a divine being whose very presence was, you know, he was venerated by Hindus as well as Muslims. That sure fact itself shows he was non-denominational. He was a guru to everyone. And it begins from there. The teaching itself begins from his own life. Where people can learn from his example. Yes. So, for the, you know, there are people who constantly write this, that we've had a vision, we've had some sort of an experience. How do we understand what Baba is trying to convey? And this is a common concern for many people, mm. that how do I interpret this? How do I relate to it? Or what is Baba trying to tell me? Mm. So what would you say to devotees who have this? So as you rightly said, that this itself, the sheer fact they've had a dream or vision is not of their doing. It has happened, that is how Baba has pulled them to Him. Now they have to trust that force which has pulled them without their volition, without their free will, to do its job. What happens is we tend to analyze and seek meaning of what we have seen or what we have experienced. But that force is so potent, so powerful that if it had the ability to come to us without our knowledge and pull us in, we must trust it to take us all the way. So actually I do find that one gets the answers if one has such a vision, for example, or dream or whatever it may be. One gets the answers once the thinking mind is not too caught up that I had this vision, I had the experience. You see, because the me feels great that God has chosen me to have a vision versus someone else. It can strengthen the ego. Exactly. Yes. Yes. But to have the humility that this vision happened without me doing anything hmm. is to trust that source which will show you the way. You see, like my teacher would say, Never consider your glass half empty, but half full. Because if God has brought you this far in your spiritual journey, why do you feel He'll drop you here? He will hold your hand and take you home. So these are visions, these are signs, not for the me to feel proud about them, but to see that life is taking a certain course through the form of Baba and one has to trust Baba to lead us along the way. I had a question on this. As one goes down the path of trust and surrender, there are certain practices Baba would advocate to devotees of Japa, of Dhyana, of even self-inquiry at times. Devotees that are sincerely committed to Baba and wish to go down the path of self-realization, could you talk a little bit on practices for devotees where they can adhere to these and if they can help still the mind or if you could give some suggestions here? See, generally masters like Baba saw the aptitude of the devotee and then prescribed what they felt was the right method for that specific devotee. Some were more inclined to bhakti, some to japa, and some to self-inquiry, and others to a total understanding of what Baba was saying, depending on the aptitude. For example, 
someone with a very active mind the purpose of a mantra jap the word mantra itself man means mind and thra means freeing freeing the mind so rather than the mind being involved in mundane issues it shifts to the mantra so it creates a disturbance in the regular pattern of thinking which one is embroiled in so that is again a step in the direction away from the mundane so someone may not have the aptitude to practice self inquiry or understand certain other messages of baba but may find yes i am very comfortable doing the japa you see so these were different practices prescribed and what people resonate with the most is what would be given and that would they would all lead to the source now let's say baba would tell someone and it is in the satcharita that see me in all the beings now someone may find that too abstract you know but someone else might say yes what baba is pointing to is that the same consciousness functions through everyone the same sense of presence of being functions through all the people that may be easy for that particular individual to understand that now that person need not do the japa then because his life becomes the living teaching he sees god in everyone so that is what it was meant by different practices for different temperaments and attitudes it is not that one has to progress from one to the other in a sequential form even nisargadatta maharaj would see the mindset of the person who has come to him and then decide whether his gnana yoga talks were the main thing or whether they should just do a mantra jap so that is what the master does this takes me to a question gautam that now baba is not in form and people who regard sai baba as their main guru how do they get guidance which is specific to them so they know they are on the right track see generally uh, the guidance will come the point is that we have to be open to receive the guidance now there are some instances which everyone is familiar with where baba actually comes to certain people and then now they are spreading baba's message that is one kind of the others are the simpler people who don't have that connection you know but baba being present in their life will bring about circumstances the question is are we aware or is our vision only on one track you see it is when we drop this one track vision which is just our conditioning through which we are viewing everything and when we are open and aware then the source as represented by baba is bound to step in to show us the way but it could be that we get so stuck on this fact that no no baba will show me the way baba will show me the way but baba is showing you the way but through some other form through something which happens in your life again which is coming as a gift but we might just be so unaware of that because we have this fixed concept in our mind that it should come to us in a certain way mm. that we miss the opportunity there are many devotees who have experiences because baba would give them you know so to distinguish between a real experience and an imaginary one see a real experience is an experience which comes an imaginary one in the sense you might be referring to is one which i make myself believe is an experience mm. you see mm. so there's a very thin line and that is why this whole business of experiences is very tricky because as masters like ramana maharshi or even shirdi sai baba himself has said all experiences come and go baba himself has said you are the witness of whatever transpires which means in life 
all pleasures and pains which come and go in life all experiences because for an experience to be registered one experiencer has to be there you so all experiences come and go and baba himself has pointed to this in satcharita about being the witness you see so the mind is such that it tends to hook on to an experience and feel special about that experience and then want to repeat that experience mm-hmm. now that experience may or may not come again and then one can get frustrated that oh baba came to me once in a dream now i'm going to wait for him to come another time mm-hmm. but the bedrock of your life should be baba's teaching mm-hmm. it should not be dependent on an experience of baba otherwise what is the point of a teaching if it doesn't impact your daily living what is the point if it is stuck at the level of one experience you had the value of the experience is tremendous because it's like a catalyst but many of us tend to get stuck on the level of that experience this takes me to the next question gautam Sai Baba would often advocate the practice of self-inquiry, and he would often say, "Ask yourself at all times, who am I?" And this would relate very much to this. At least that practice can help. Could you talk a little bit on the practice in general and give some guidance? Sure. So self-inquiry is also there in our scriptures, mm-hmm. and also after Baba, sages like Ramana Maharshi, who was known for his process of who am i you see now this again will appeal to a certain aptitude and a certain mindset it's not everyone's cup of tea but what baba is pointing to or this inquiry of who am i is pointing to is to understand that who is this me who feels he or she is living his or her life who is this me what, who is this person thinking this thought and when this inquiry of who am i is done the understanding starts sinking in that i am not this i am not this why because i am the one aware of this who is the one who is aware of this this is a regression because who am i cannot have an answer in that sense because you are no thing who am i is to dissolve the constructs which we have created which separate us from what is and from the world this me this me with its baggage of likes dislikes conditionings feelings emotions it is to deconstruct this shell which we have created around us since childhood and take us back to that pure being the pure source like the child before the ego came and conditioned the child that you are separate and i am separate so this is what the inquiry of who am i does does and someone who can go deep into this inquiry will realize this unicity because the riddle has been solved of who am i so again it is a practice just like japa is a practice gautam it seems that it's important for a devotee to be able to discriminate in their day to day life as well sai baba would say in one of the 10 prerequisites for self realization for a devotee that they must choose the right over the pleasant and even bhagwan uh, ramakrishna dev would make a clear distinction on worldliness and uh, the path of god and it seems that discrimination could be that fork or the starting point where devotee begins like to witness and be aware could you speak a little bit about discrimination as a practice and how devotees could essentially imbibe that into their day to day lives 
See, there are many aspects of discrimination, but if we just touch upon one, so many of us, in fact, most of us are so hardwired with conditioning that based on our past experience, we react to different people the same way. We are in a reactionary mode rather than a response mode because we have been hardwired with conditioning. Now, in this case, what is discrimination? Discrimination is to understand that we are a result of our conditioning and so is the other. That itself is a level of discrimination because you are no longer functioning on a kind of autopilot of reaction. With the understanding that the same consciousness functions through each of us, as Baba has said, what happens is one accepts the others for who they are because God has made them. And one accepts oneself for who one is because God has made one. This kind of thinking is discrimination. Because earlier, while one was going around pointing fingers, accusing and blaming and condemning people, now one understands that that is not true. That understanding is discrimination. This is just to give you one example because it's a very wide term. So one sees that when one follows the teaching, then discrimination starts happening. And every aspect of life, every aspect of relationships, all different relationships are seen in the light of discrimination. You know, what you shared was discrimination in relationship to other people and events that are associated with them. Could we talk in terms of discrimination based on choices one makes, which need not have much to do with people, but more in regard to everyday circumstances and choices one makes, essentially in the light of, for the devotee who's putting God first in his life, the one who essentially is a serious aspirant, and would make certain choices which are favorable to the path than which are not. So discrimination in that regard. So for example, uh, if there is a choice that would trigger lust or peace or you know something where he could get mired into something uh, and get astray as opposed to you know staying on the path. Uh, discriminating at these everyday decisions. Could you talk a little bit about that discrimination? So let's take desire for example as a point, right? Now desire can arise. To suppress desire is not the way, okay? To indulge in desire is not the way. This is what the sages have mentioned, right? What happens with discrimination is if desire arises, the understanding arises at the same time that the desire has arisen, but whether it gets fulfilled or not is God's will. So the involvement in the desire drops. That is how a desire arising is witnessed it could be something as simple as a desire for a cup of coffee. That's also a desire, right? But for some reason, the coffee powder is not at home, etc. What do we tend to do? We tend to blame that why didn't you buy the groceries in time? Why isn't it stock? Now I wanted to have a coffee, now I can't have it. And we bring out all this frustration on this event, right? But if the understanding is there that the desire to have a coffee arose, which is fine, but it didn't get fulfilled because it was not meant to. Then the hold which the desire has on us loses its grip. I've used a very soft desire like a cup of coffee, but it would be applicable for any desire like lust, as you said, you see. So to allow what has to come up to come up 
because suppressing it is not going to work but also to let go of it and let go of the outcome because the outcome is me wanting an outcome me wanting things to be a certain way and getting frustrated if they are not that way so the discrimination in this case is this allowing what has to come up to come up but understanding that it will get fulfilled only if it is meant to so there is no frustration the other thing is in right thinking discrimination is does my desire harm anyone you see and if the answer is no and the understanding is there that it is desire in the moment there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes we are so consumed by our desires that we don't even realize it could be harmful to someone else or ourselves because we are involved in the desire you see so it could also be seen as a gradual progression on our own spiritual journey because everything in life i keep pointing to this fact that baba said be a witness let the world go topsy turvy around you but be a witness because that is a very deep teaching in that one line you see and let the world go topsy turvy does not mean just external events because the world is inside you yeah he would even say this the bhagavad gita and the kurukshetra is is inside, inside yeah. see it's very simply put right now you are appearing outside me but the fact is you are in my field of consciousness it is because i am conscious that everything is appearing within that consciousness including myself and you but are you outside me or are you within me it appears i am speaking to you but this voice which you are hearing now is being heard in your own consciousness that is the maya but we have lost so much of this because this sense of separation is so strong which we have grown up in the me and the other have become me versus the other what was a simple structure in life of duality which is what life is black and white big and small up and down rich and poor front and back which is the design of duality has become dualism the me and the other the polaric opposites of duality have become me versus the other you see so to understand this and to understand baba's meaning when he mentions these excerpts and says these things then one has to live by that absolutely you know in this regard i've had a common string of emails with the same theme coming where people say they are living in at least they think they are living in accordance with baba's principles where they say baba has said do your worldly duties and keep your mind on me but they go about leading a life which is pretty much immoral not in alignment with baba's teachings and sometimes it's abused so you know if you could shed some light on that you know citing some examples like this so people can relate to it that you know baba had a much deeper meaning when he said you know you keep your mind on me and you do your duties in the world at least to my understanding it would be you know duties that you're meant to do natural as you said not harming anyone else mm. doing what you're meant to do or meant to do but uh, you know the emphasis for the devotee has to go within word and even question whether they are li- living in alignment with baba's teachings so could you shed some light on that as well so see sometimes it's not the time sometimes it's not the time for the teaching to sink in it is not that they have a choice as such because the level of understanding or awareness is at a certain level so one can't say that they are voluntarily not following the teaching but the teaching has not sunk in yet because how can you for example 
harbor a desire which harms another if you truly were living baba's teaching it would just not be possible right so this is where you know words like earnestness and sincerity which all masters point to be earnest in your practice be sincere in your practice what happens is we segment our life we segment our day for example we have a great one up puja ritual with baba in the temple where we are full of bhakti and devotion right but the rest of the day we are having fights with everyone we don't get along with people now if baba has said see me in all beings what is true bhakti true bhakti is to see god in everyone what can be higher bhakti than that so then bhakti is not just me merging with the idol at home and doing its puja and pranams but actually living bhakti so that comes because when one is immersed in a teaching and a master that comes the question is when does it come you know it is only a level of awareness which can so to speak speed up the process but if it is not meant to happen it won't but a true bhakt of shirdi sai baba or any master is one who follows the master's teaching and whose every breath pran shakti life force is dedicated to the master and the teaching because they are not two the form is of the formless they are not two what tends to happen is we tend to look at the master only as a form we venerate only the form but then there's a disconnect between that and the rest of our lives you see because the same form is within as well the guru is actually a projection of one's higher self onto a form so that is also not separate from us but we are so stuck in this world of forms and objects that everything is viewed compartmentalized now it's as simple as saying the sun is not apart from you if the sun rises and sets in the sky this is all appearing in your own consciousness that is how vast you are that is how vast consciousness is that the sun rises and sets in a vaster sky but where within one's own consciousness which is again you'll find this baba pointing to this in the satcharita i had a question on following up to this where gautam as people spend more and more time with baba or whichever path they are on could you give some general guidelines and pointers for them to know if they are on the right track they are making progress almost like signposts which they can self reflect on and see you see here i recall ramna maharshi's teaching because let's take this another way he was asked that how do i know that a guru is a guru or that so and so is my guru and he gave a very simple answer by the sense of peace you feel in his presence and the degree of respect you feel for him now you see this word peace is very important because that sense of peace which you feel is within you and if you were true devotee or true disciple that would be imbued and imbibed by you the point i'm trying to make is that your own life and what happens in your life will be an indication to you how close you are to the master's teaching how by the degree of peace you feel in your life by your sense of respect you feel towards others 
by accepting people for who they are then you know your reactions in daily living to events that happen in your life whether you accept them or revolt against them all the time to people who appear in your life whether you're always criticizing people always condemning people someone asked someone was criticizing another guru to nisargadatta maharaj and he told that man to shut up he said to criticize anything or anyone is to criticize the affairs of brahman so what happens is to know the impact of the teaching is to see how it has impacted your own life your daily living your tolerance for people your compassion for people see because we are not living in caves we are living in a society we are dealing with people as baba kept pointing out all relationships are in anubandhana cosmic debt of a relationship that is why he would keep emphasizing that even if a beggar comes to you don't give money but don't shout and bark at the beggar as if it's a dog it is on account of rinanubandhan that we have come together now so are we living that now when one sees that after being exposed to baba's teaching after living the teaching i find a general sense of harmony with people which does not mean i have to love everyone there may be people i don't like but i have the understanding that they are who they are the way they have been made and i naturally prefer company of others to them but i accept who they are so one will see that one's own life has transformed and changed as a result of the message of the master and then one knows that yes one is living the teaching and the whole one's whole life one's from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep becomes a meditation on a teaching you see we think of meditation as a practice we have to sit for half an hour concentrate close our eyes no my guru said true meditation is witnessing whatever arises in life as movements in consciousness whatever it may be pleasure and pain comes and goes it is witnessed as baba says so the ground for meditation is life and it becomes a way of being peace equanimity compassion are its characteristics no blame condemnation hatred malice jealousy envy because baba says i am the sole doer nobody is the doer the lord is the doer so if i do something because of which society has praised me whereas pride and arrogance may have arisen earlier wow i did something now the full humility and understanding is there that god gifted me a set of attributes as a result of which something was done and so it was appreciated by society what arises may be pleasure because it feels good but no pride and arrogance these start dropping away hatred and malice start dropping away so all this is what one starts shedding sometimes if one experiences this maybe in lesser degrees and one is sort of uh, pulled astray temporarily sometimes people have a tendency to be very hard on themselves that oh i've been doing meditation or i've been with baba for so long yet i had an episode of anger or an outburst or something else whatever it is for them could you shed some light in those moments how to be yes see the thing is we are not sages it is human nature you know one may have a practice for years and suddenly one incident happens which disturbs one's peace of mind it's a happening what happens is we take ownership of that and said i was not disturbed for all these years i got disturbed with this happening why did i do it the fact is you didn't it 
happened in the moment. So then with this understanding, you don't set up these expectations that you have to be the perfect figure which will not make a wrong move and which will not say anything slightly wrong. That's a lot of pressure, you know, because we are not perfect. God has made us with all our imperfections. In that sense, we are perfect because our imperfections are also made by God. So when we stop putting this demand on others as well as ourselves that this is the way you should be and this is the way I should be, then life becomes free, joyful living. Things may happen sometimes because we are human, but we are not claiming ownership of them. Because to claim ownership is then to get stuck again. Something that I should have asked you right in the beginning. Your relationship with Sai Baba, I remember uh, you had mentioned once, right when you were a child, you were taken to Baba and Shirdi. Yes. So if you could share a little personal, I mean, uh, a few personal encounters, interactions, your own experiences of Baba. See, I have not had many experiences. I know he did come to me once in a dream recently. But what I do know is that when I was born, my father especially considered me a gift from Shirdi Sai Baba. And I have this memory, I think I must have been really small, maybe two years old. But the memory is very clear, two or three at the most where I'm taken to Shirdi, they had taken me and that at that time the temple priest who's on the podium was taking the babies, whoever had come with babies and lifting the baby up and putting the baby at the feet of Baba and then giving the baby back to the parents. This I recall vividly because the visual imprint, I can actually even now see the vision of, you know, being lifted off my parents and then the statue and being put at the feet and then being taken back. That memory I do have still. But beyond that, I just feel that, uh, you know, for a lot of people in India and Maharashtra especially, we have grown up seeing Sai Baba in taxis on the temple side. He has truly become a part of us. Plus, in my journey with uh, spiritual masters, I kind of picked up on what they call other esoteric aspects. Like, for example, I was very drawn to the Nath yogis, like Goraknath, etc. And they revered, of course, Dattatreya, you know. And there's a connection between Sai Baba and Dattatreya. They consider him a manifestation of Dattatreya. And that is why he's even called Sai Nath. Sai Nath. He has a dhuni. The sign of the Naths are the, is the fire, the dhuni. Once a Nath yogi told me that you must, wherever you go, if there is a dhuni of a Nath yogi, you must present yourself before that. So I asked him why. So he said because the dhuni records everything which transpires around it since it was lit. So I picked up these kind of cues along the way. And it, I mean with Sai Baba, because he's so all pervasive, one kept finding these connections and stories and, uh, you know, understanding aspects of him as a, a truly divine being. Now, just the other day, I was telling my mother that we are planning to have this talk on interview. And she told me, did you, did I tell you about the, my uh, episode at Shirdi Sai Baba temple? So I said, which one? So she said about the trunk of Baba. So I said, no, I said, what is this? So she said what happened was some years ago, many years ago, she had gone with her friend, a friend of hers at uh, Aarti time. She was just looking at the statue. Now my mother has been gifted with a spiritual awakening much later, I think, and she's had a lot of visions and all. But at that time, she thought that she saw a trunk on the Murti and she dismissed it because she felt with the, you know, the incense sticks and the dhoop and the lights of the flames and all. Sometimes the mind is tricked into creating patterns where none actually exist. But uh, she said this kept 
insisting this this vision kept insisting on being recognized by her so she would wait to see like the smoke move away uh, and the priest put the aarti thing down but it was very clearly a trunk so it was very perplexing for her so then they stepped out and there were few shops at that time her friend wanted to buy a murti and all that and she said right in the corner one small photo was leaping out saying pick me pick me so she was wondering what that is and so she told the shopkeeper and he picked it out he said ye ji to sai ganesh hai and it's of ganesh uh, sai baba with a trunk this my mother told me 3 days ago she had completely not told this to me now i was wondering i said you know this is quite something she didn't buy that photo so i went on to google and i just typed sai ganesh and i clicked images and there are images of baba with a trunk so you see all these are very symbolic supposing we went to a shop one could very well say these buggers you know they put one god's face on sai baba and do what they want and venerate him but now this is what my mother has seen so that was her experience i think it was very beautiful because there is actually a form called sai ganesh so that's something which i that's amazing yeah so <coughs> sorry symbolism i think baba is very i would use the word cryptic a lot of his messages his ways his leelas were not very direct he would mm. use symbolism which till date in people's dreams visions any reason because he wants us to discriminate <laughs> he doesn't want to give us a for apple <laughs> that's true yeah one other question sai baba is probably the most popular deity in india and pretty much many parts of the world especially the indians are any reason why the western in the west uh the teachings haven't spread as much as it has with through the path of bhakti but in the gyan mark or in the west any reason you feel there's been a bit of a gap there you see one is that as you rightly said it is people of a simpler mindset now indians are bhakti prone because they've been the tradition is to revere to visit temples and the relationship with the murti or one's guru for example it is a bhakti driven path the western mind is more into inquiry and knowledge and thinking now there's very little literature on what baba has said on gyana yoga for example but his leelas all point to that now even the story of the two lizards you know where he's sitting and someone sees a lizard on the wall and says this lizard is getting very excited why and baba says its sister is coming you know and a man the next instant comes in his cart and puts a sack down and another lizard runs from the cart and goes and meets this lizard now at one level we say look at baba's leela he knew that another lizard was going to come from some other town he had that vision which he did and he saw this happen now the process of gnana yoga would be what is behind this what is the meaning of this which is very clear baba is saying that anyone in your life you meet rinanubandana the universe will conspire to bring about circumstances to make you meet them in this case it was two lizards that was his vision his enormity you see so now what happens is because the literature is mainly driven on these stories and incidents which evoke so much bhav and bhakti because truly only god or the absolute could do all this the westerners don't have much to look at unless they really delve deeper and that is why because my background is gnana yoga 
I was with a master who belonged to a lineage of Jnana Yoga masters. When I read the Satcharita, I saw it through the prism of Jnana Yoga. And that is why I underlined all these things which appeal to me because I truly felt that living this is the highest form of bhakti. Because they are not two paths, ultimately it's the same. So I do feel that in time to come, the western world is going to get more familiar with this master. I'll give you one example. It's only recently that uh, around Arunachala mountain, a shrine has come up dedicated to Shirdi Sai Baba, which was not there earlier. And I feel that Sai Baba's message is going to reach out far more than it has ever been in the years to come. That is why he said, my bones will speak from my tomb. Baba has said that the message will go far and wide and he will come in any form whether it is a vision, whether it is dreams, whether it is through Jnana Yoga, we don't know. But because as Ramana Maharshi had said, even Nisardatta Maharaja had said very clearly, Baba was the absolute, always there. So I do feel that uh, it would be really wonderful if devotees like us of Sai Baba live his teaching with a direct impact in our daily living. I think that is the service we could be of to Baba. So that being said, Gautam, we pray for His grace, that His will be done. Yeah. And thank you once again so much thank for you. your time. Thank you. And hopefully this is one of many conversations with you. And uh, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. It would be my privilege. Thank